welcome to Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and information around the Washington National Guard. I'm Sarah Morris, and on today's episode, Joe and I sit down with Lieutenant Colonel Angela Gentry, the Washington National Guard G2J2, Lieutenant Colonel Casey DeGroof, the commander of the 341st Military Intelligence Battalion, Chief Warrant Officer 3, Andrew Rose, the Washington Army National Guard's Senior Military Intelligence Warrant Officer, and Command Sergeant Major Tim Harris, the Command Sergeant Major of the 56th Theater Information Operations Group. To speak with them about the Washington National Guard's intelligence enterprise. We touch on what the intelligence enterprise is, the different types of military intelligence occupations available, and what the future of military intelligence looks like for the Washington National Guard. Enjoy! Bigfoot country is earthquake country. If an earthquake were to happen right now, what would you do? When you feel the ground shaking, drop, cover, and hold on. Do not run or you may be injured by things falling. Remember, if you are near the ocean, the ground shaking is your warning that a tsunami may be coming. After the shaking stops, move to high ground and stay there. Make sure to listen to local emergency officials. Have enough supplies to be self-sufficient for two weeks after a disaster. For more information about earthquakes in Washington, visit mil.wa.gov preparedness. Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's WA National Guard, and look for the blue check mark. Uh, good afternoon. Um, I'm here with Joe. Hey, everyone. And we are on Teams, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, the Washington National Guard's Intel Enterprise. And so we're going to start with you, Colonel Angie Gentry. Well, hey, team. It's, thank you for having us. It's awesome to, to be on board. I am Lieutenant Colonel Angie Gentry. I have been the Washington State G2 and J2 for just over two years, um, and I am here with a phenomenal uh, team and a great amount of expertise. I'll pass it now to our infamous Sergeant Major Tim Harris. Hello, I'm Command Sergeant Major Tim Harris. I am currently the uh, Command Sergeant Major of the 56th Theater Information Operations Group, and I am a career SIGINT soldier. Uh, I'll be followed by Chief Rose. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is CW3 Andrew Rose. I am the 56th Theater Information Operations Group All Source Intelligence Technician on the AGR side, and I am the Washington Army National Guard Senior MI Warrant Officer. I will be followed by Lieutenant Colonel Casey DeGroof. Good afternoon. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Casey DeGroof. Currently the battalion commander for the 341st MI Battalion, a linguist battalion in JBLM and Fairchild Air Force Base. Been in the Guard since 2003 and a longtime MI professional. 
Great. Um, well, we're excited to talk to you guys. Um, I understand you just had your joint Intel summit. Is that how you, is that what you call it? That is exactly right. Yes, this this uh, past early in uh, December, just before December IDT, we actually had our first ever joint intelligence enterprise summit. This is technically our second one, given that last year we were able to have an army um, intelligence summit last summer before all things COVID. So ma'am, even though I'm an Intel officer and uh, having worked with every one of you uh, individuals in my military intelligence career, um, for those folks that are not military intelligence professionals, what is the Washington National Guard's intelligence enterprise? All right, I'll take that question and then I'll let my phenomenal panel get a chance to to add on anything that I that I may miss out on. So the intelligence enterprise um, is a concept that was was brought to fruition by truly um, those that paved the way before any of most of us um, arrived here, minus our major Harris, because we can date him. <laughs> but in the days of the Colonel Simonson's, um, even way back into to Colonel Rollins days, but but for me, Colonel Simonson um, particularly. He was really big about trying to synchronize and bring together um, the the great the great force, and Colonel DeSofi, who just recently retired or is in the process of retiring, I love that General Dent calls him the forefather of all things intelligence because he is truly one of the the um, oh excuse me the grandfather I think is what he said of intelligence because um, he is truly one of one of our our key stakeholders who who got us up and running. When they came together, um, they they. They tried to do a mini council to talk about how can we become um, more synchronized? Um, how can we increase capacity? How can we build on our community? How can we do better with career development? A lot of these main, a lot of things that kind of allude to branch management in general, but um, we were having a difficult time, you know, uh, pushing forward. And so with that said, uh, Colonel DeSofi is the one who coined the frame intelligence enterprise. He said, we have to start looking at this from an enterprise perspective, because if we're honest with ourselves, one of our greatest weaknesses was that we were working way too autonomously um, within our own units with all things trained men equipped. You know, a lot of our in our units were working very independently of one another, and we weren't doing a really great job of not only synchronizing our training efforts, but more importantly, when it comes to personnel management and upward mobility, lateral mobility, a lot of our soldiers didn't even know, you know, outside of of what we call our, our own individual bubbles. And so um, coining ourselves as the intelligence enterprise gave us a broader perspective, which fueled what we now have, which is an Intel Enterprise Council. Um, that is a group of senior leaders, and I'm talking Army specific now, that is a group of senior leaders um, who, who come together to, to try to continue to move that that needle forward for for our soldiers all the way you know all things once again train men equipped but um particularly with our soldiers in mind and, and making sure that, that we're doing uh best for the branch as a whole so i'll pause there and i'll let our very well educated panel comment. this is this is sergeant major harris so just to put the intel enterprise into kind of a historical perspective to build on what colonel gentry was speaking of. Um, historically, prior to us bringing this together under the umbrella of the Intel Enterprise, um, you had kind of two big chunks or two big stovepipes of uh, 
intel or military intelligence within the Washington Army National Guard. You had the intel folks that were part of the 81st Brigade, and then you had the folks that were, you know, part of the 341st MI. And there was not a lot of cross-conversation or uh, joint training or really a whole lot of conversations uh, that went on between, uh, despite any efforts to that to the contrary. When when uh, Sergeant Major Abby West, rest in peace, when she was coming out of her time as the MICO first sergeant over in the brigade and she had taken over as the BSTV sergeant major, she called together uh, a whole contingent of MI soldiers from across the guard, uh, across the Washington Army National Guard. And we met in Yakima and kind of talked about what it might look like if we were to do more cross talk, more cross training. And if we thought of the whole thing as a bigger intelligence collective across the entire formation, because what you have is these two big, these two concentrations of of intel folks. So you have you had the MICO in the brigade as well as any um, intelligence professionals that were working in the various two sections of the you know tactical units over in the 81st Brigade, and then you had the 341st, which at that time was in troop command. And those were, and then you had the two, the the various intel professionals in the two sections, uh, in the other MSCs other than the 81st Brigade. But as Colonel Gentry said, everything was kind of happening separately. And unless you took a promotion in another unit, you didn't really have any familiarity with what was going on. And there was just kind of this willingness to grow up within your organization and maybe not branch out and and go and work in another organization or understand what was going on in terms of military intelligence in one of those other organizations. So, you know, starting with that conversation that uh, Sergeant Major West started, and at that time, Colonel uh, Rollins, James Rollins was the 341st commander at the time, um, that kind of got the ball rolling. And then you had people like Colonel Simonson, whose vision of bringing together a bunch of um, similarly organized units under an MSC in the 56th Theater Information Operations Group, his conception of, of really professionalizing and, you know, I guess synchronizing and um, joining together the intel forces across the entire Washington Army National Guard, uh, he got that ball rolling. And then, of course, Colonel Simonson has followed through and, you know, his efforts and, and the efforts of that um, Intel Council resulted in that first Intel Enterprise Summit last year, and of course, our joint Intel Enterprise Summit this year. And I will finish my comments here and allow for somebody else their input. And we bring a lot of these great people, the great, um, you know, uh, folks in, into conversation because, you know, we, we're at a place now where we're in the we're in the sausage making, right? We're like, we're in the doing, but we don't want to hesitate to, uh, Gabe Russell, another one, you know, another another um, um, key innovator back in the day. These were our visionaries that that kind of fueled us to be at, to be where we're at and to motivate us to to put a lot of this into action. So we get the joy of, of actioning a lot of these concepts and seeing um, how, they're, how they're synchronizing 
what we're calling the intelligence enterprise at large. So uh, maybe, uh, oh, ma'am, I saw Colonel DeGroote's uh, little thing pop on. Did you want to say something, ma'am? Sure. I was just going to add that you fast forward all those visionaries to today, and we've been able to really just increase connectivity. And it's been great because now we're starting to reach out. There's so many opportunities in the Washington Intelligence Enterprise that we're doing some very unique missions in support of national level um, projects. And now we're able to actually reach out and demonstrate to everybody what's available and what your MI career could bring you and just fulfill some of the opportunities out there that when we didn't have the tools and the interconnectivity to discuss with one another, you kind of felt like you were a lone Intel professional. And now we've got a great set of resources. So it's, it's really just thanks to the folks who are participating, everyone on this call, but we've got some other key stakeholders from units all across both Army and Air Guard that are, are really bringing us together and letting us get the word out and increase the professionalism of our soldiers. And this is a great place where we can pause for a second and allow Mr. Rose to, to share how that's affected our warrant officer population, which is actually increasing um, exponentially, I would say, you know, since we've had a chief warrant officer in, in position managing uh, just that aspect of our, our enterprise. Well, thank you, ma'am. Um, you know, what, what, what I've seen over the past couple of years since we really started putting this in my enterprise concept into an actual um, uh, workable model is in 2017, when I took over, I'm the first AGR warrant officer on the MI side uh, for our state. Uh, we went from having very dismal numbers because it's really hard to foster a program when there's not a full-timer there in some way shape or form to uh, keep continuity between the drill weekends so from there i was able to create a lot of relationships throughout different mi formations within the washington army national guard and from there we were able to go from being about 30 percent strength to being almost 80 percent strength right now for all of our uh, mi warrant officers to include uh, in my MOSs that were very, very under strength to the point of having no representation um, at all. So we've been able to build that up really, really well. Um, what I try to explain to a lot of people is what they don't understand about uh, warrant officer recruitment is for enlisted soldiers. You know, we got our recruiters out on the streets, going to the schools, talking to young uh, individuals who would be good candidates for the military. And on the officer side, we've got OCS, uh, you know, we got the academies and we've got ROTC, but the warrant officers just don't have that. So it's incumbent upon actual sitting warrant officers and especially a full timer like myself to make sure that they're going to around to all the units talking to these young MI professionals and really speaking to them about the overall warrant officer program uh, or else they haven't been uh, receiving that uh, information um, on how they can grow their careers on that fashion. And in a lot of cases, uh, you know, we're not sold on wanting to steal the future of the NCO Corps. I mean, there's a lot of uh, great soldiers out there that you know, are going to grow up to be first sergeants and sergeants major, which we need those. Those are very incredibly important positions. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are some soldiers that just want to strictly do their job as that specific into capability. And being a warrant officer is an outstanding opportunity for them to continue on. So, uh, so ma'am, if you could, uh, or, or anybody on the call, if, if you could kind of give a, a snapshot right now of, 
of what our what our Intel kind of posture is, you know, across the landscape. We've talked the 341st, the various S2 shops, and the Myco. But if you're a a young war or a, a young uh, MI soldier or a young officer just coming into the organization, what's what's something they could say? Hey, I sh- I should go to this position, then maybe I should try and go be this, or you know, move here, and then eventually a company command. So if uh, somebody can kind of talk about that. So I'll start with the fact that um, we are 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 branching out and trying to do more when it comes to um, professional development, and it starts with communication. Um, we greatly and wholeheartedly, you know, can admit to ourselves that it's it's that's external communication has been a little bit of a challenge. Not so much in the 56 dialogue, right? Because of it, all things that Sergeant Major said to get us to to even having um, an MSC where we're where a lot of the same entities are under this the one umbrella. Um, and within the 81st now, now that that um, I myself as a G2J2 and at the JF, JFHQ level um, can do a better job of, of um, pinging and, and communicating and talking with the MSC. So at the MSC levels, I think that we've cracked the code, the code a bit. We're not perfect, but we're absolutely getting there. So I would say from the JFHQ level to the MSCs, we're doing a really great job of cross-talking because those senior leaders are primarily um, composed officer, NCO, and warrant of what our IE council is. Um, where we're missing the mark right now and we need to get better is exactly what you're saying. Reaching out to those those um, separate battalion S2 shops, for example, um, and getting down a little bit deeper to the soldier levels because a, a soldier who enters, for example, an S2 or not an S2 position, excuse me, an intel position in 40, 420th Chem, for example, um, not only are you geographically challenged and being a little bit separate from from where the the preponderance of the intel capacity in our state is located, but you also have a very small you know shop and and mentorship channel there. So um, that is a, a goal of ours moving forward um, to do far more when it comes to branch management and getting out and and meeting you know um, folks that that we probably have have yet to talk to. So I will say this. So for example. Um, just set, shooting out a bunch of emails to to all the officers, just talking officers for a second. And and I know that Sergeant Major will have great conversation in regards to NCOs and Mr. Rose on warrants. But just shooting out kind of a blast email to, to check in with some folks. There was hesitation there to reply back because people don't even know who I am, right? Um, and that's because we, we never really empowered our JFHQ to be, you know, to have that type of oversight and, and intimate involvement with our with our officers' careers. And so I understand why folks would be hesitant to do so. But the summit was meant to bring folks together so that you understood, you know, kind of the makeup of the state. And I will absolutely um, be remiss if I don't mention that the one chain of command concept has brought fuel to the fire on a lot of these initiatives that we're trying to push towards. Um, The, you know, the having a hierarchy where folks know that you have a G2 that's trying to operate as um, some of us that have come off active duty is more accustomed to to understanding a G2 and operating when it comes to helping you out with your professional development and career career moves. Um, I think that's key. That's really important. But that takes a lot of external communication efforts on all of our behalfs. And that's just from an officer perspective. I know that Colonel DeSophie, myself, Colonel Wenner, Colonel DeGroove, um, whenever we're, because we've been in those key positions the last few years, have talked a lot about the career management of our young up and comers. Um, and have tried to reach out to folks that, that have popped up on our rosters that, that we that we haven't um, met before. Um, 
the RB just we just got a great officer in 04, um, Manin, forgive me if I, I, I um, mistake his name, who joined us from the active component. Oh my goodness, it was awesome that I could happen to run into him and, and meet him. So those efforts in, in trying to be more initial is really um, what we need to do and, and how we need to maximize the potential of our IE council. And that's just from an officer perspective, but I'll leave it open now to um, my Sergeant Major and, and Mr. Rose to talk warrants and NCOs. I was going to wait and let Chief go first. I was going to let you go first, but uh, I'll go. Uh, so on the warrant officer side, uh, there's several opportunities uh, depending on which uh, position that you uh, want to go. So uh, the preponderance of all source analyst positions that we're going to find um, in the state are going to be over the uh, 56th Theater Information Operations Group between uh, HHC 56 Tyog in the S2 shop and uh, 156 in the IOB. Um, a lot of these are uh, dedicated uh, information operations uh, position, so it's more dedicated towards um, that skill set. So whoever comes over um, expecting to be strictly an all-source analyst, they're going to have to shift gears a little bit. But it's been an outstanding opportunity for myself to be able to learn that skill set in addition to uh, just being um, an MI warrant officer. Uh, our, we have three positions over in the 81st Striker Brigade Combat Team, and that's very uh, uh, dedicated towards being more of a tactical MI warrant officers. And those are uh, CW2 positions. So those are the fan those are fantastic positions that I usually like to have uh, brand new warrant officers um, go to is over into the brigade. And that way they get that baseline level of what it means to be a warrant officer at the tactical level before they uh, move up. Um, all of our uh, 350 Lima and 350 or yeah, 350 Lima positions are over in Bravo Company uh, 341st. We currently have those full, but we're accepting uh, applications. Uh, the only issue that we're running into is uh, with three, uh, the 351 Mike's, the human intelligence collection technician between um, 81st Brigade and the 341st. Um, the main requirement for people to assess into those positions are to uh, have the source operations course that has been eluding us thus far to getting people in, but we're working a workaround for that one. Um, but there's plenty of opportunities over in 341st and the 81st for 351 Mike's. So coming in, coming into uh, the human side of the field, um, you know, the world would be your oyster if you're a 35 Mike and you want to shift your gears and um, move over into the warrant officer side. And we are currently full up on uh, 352 uh, signet analysis technicians. Um, so right now we've got uh, four individuals uh, occupying positions with three positions to occupy. So we're a little bit over strength, but um, again, with any of our positions um, that we're uh, that we have um, on our MTO, we're willing to take applications. And uh, last but not least, we've got one position for 353 Tango, which is the Military Intelligence Systems Maintenance Integration Technician. Um, that one's the million dollar uh, position to fill. Uh, right now we are capped uh, um, at E5 for 35 Tangos in the state. So for um, somebody to get promoted and go through their NCO schools takes a little bit of time. Um, there's no promotion opportunity on the enlisted side um, in the state for 353 Tangos or th 35 Tangos. So we're definitely looking at whoever you know, wants to come up, make E5, get their time in um, to promote and put in a warrant officer packet. And um, hopefully we can get that spot filled pretty soon. So um, on the up and up, we're, we're, we're doing well on the recruitment trend. But, uh, you know, we'll take uh, we'll take applications and any sort of interest from um, any MI professional that wants to pursue this action. So um, if you if anybody knows anybody out there who wants to uh, go warrant, let me know and uh, give them my contact information. Over to you, Sergeant Major. Uh Roger. So when we taught, we actually spent quite a bit of time in a NCO breakout session at the uh, at the IE summit 
this uh, past a couple weeks ago talking about where positions are located and kind of pr career progression, career development kinds of things. It's only just the start of the conversation because it, you know, really the all of the mentorship and um, any of the professional development up until recently has just happened internally within the specific unit. So when we're looking at enlisted MOSs, <clears throat> whether it's um, when it comes to uh, human and counterintelligence uh, specialization or signals intelligence, um, the preponderance of those positions are either in the brigade in the MICO or in the 341st MI. And then when it comes to uh, 35 Fox and some of the lower density 35 series, those are all, with the exception of the 56 Tiag itself, um, a lot of those positions, most of those positions are actually spread out throughout the brigade, right? So um, part of what we talked about, we took a look at where the different positions were across the entire Washington Army National Guard um, formation so that people could visualize where their pathway might take them. And we spent some time talking about um, how to, you know, manage manage one's career so that they had a balance of intel experience, but, um, you know, looking at where the density of those positions were, but also with an eye towards, you know, switching MSCs for some of those um, broadening kinds of career assignments to get some exposure to um, different aspects of of the you know the professional pathway. Again, we're only this is just the start of the conversation. This is the first time where we've actually had kind of everybody in the same room, so to speak, and everybody focused on on that same on that same target. So. Um, you know, we don't have the benefit of having a senior enlisted person in, you know, for Intel in the G or J shops right now full time. So it really comes down onto my soldier on my shoulders as uh, as an M day as the senior MI enlisted soldier and being M day falls on my shoulders to kind of begin uh, the networking and making sure that these conversations are happening and that um, key NCO leadership and enlisted soldiers have the information that they need in order to be able to, you know, plan and navigate uh, their way through um, through the structure. And what's great about what Sarah Major said is you'll hear some common themes within the intelligence enterprise. And one of those themes is that it, it truly does take a village. Um, it takes many, many of us to, to, to try and cross talk um, and even if we're crossing the O's and NCO and, and warrant um, lanes in order to do so, so that we can maximize on our professional development conversations. But as Sergeant Major alluded to, he's absolutely right. Um, you know, in our professional development breakouts during the summit, we all said that this is just the start of the conversation. We know that we have been um, struggling in this this area and, and we've got great goals uh, moving forward for, for where we want to be. Because um, one of our due outs to the to the officers in our breakout was that we need to post the MI vacancies or just the MI positions across the board that are even available in the state of Washington. Because if especially if you've just ISTed into our state or if you you know are are new to the Washington Army Guard, you probably have no idea. And even if you've been in our organization for many years to um, 
on end, you may not know, you know, what's even out there for you to pursue or to consider, whether it be lateral upward mobility. And situational awareness was absolutely one of our major objectives for even having the summit. Awesome. Um, so I have sort of a two-parter, and this is going to be geared more towards people who are unfamiliar with the military intelligence community as a whole. And so the first would be to just, um, I, we keep talking about the intelligence enterprise, and if you could just define what that means, especially within regards to the Washington National Guard and its intelligence community. And then also, the types of positions within uh, MI are so varied. So if, if someone could just give sort of a quick summary of the different positions. So like if we use this podcast to sort of tell uh, some kids that might be interested in joining the Washington National Guard and might be interested in military intelligence, but don't understand what, you know, geospatial is or SIGINT or HUMANT or any of those things, just a little summary of what each of those positions do and sort of what that looks like within the Washington National Guard. Awesome. Well, once again, I'll start this, <laughs> I'll start this conversation and I'll let the, the professionals speak in. And, and a person I would love for you to hear from is Lieutenant Colonel DeGroove, because um, for someone who has been both a soldier as well as an officer and grown up, you know, um, off and on inside of this, this great system, um, she's, she's a, she's a perfect subject matter expert. So the wonderful thing about the Washington intelligence enterprise, and 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 let's not overthink what we mean by intelligence enterprise. It's truly the the total intelligence community that exists within our state, and we are one of the states in the nation that has a phenomenal intelligence capacity. We have um, all of the intelligence disciplines, minus just a just a few out there. We've got all sorts of intelligence, human intelligence signals intelligence, as well as counterintelligence. And as you mentioned, we've even got geowinners within our state. So um, when I say capacity, we, we, we've got a, a, a military intelligence battalion, a linguist battalion. So even on top of that, we've got a language quoted, quoted slots as well. And then we've got our, our phenomenal brigade. And within our brigade, an MI um, company. So th um, those things alone, there are states that have maybe a piece or an entity or even just a company of of what we have and yet you know what i mean we, we've got a, a monster if you will here in the state and so yes we'll start with all source intelligence and i'm going to pass that mic actually off to mr rose thank you ma'am so the uh, all source field is a very uh, interesting field um uh due to the fact that you can there's a lot you can do with it um you're not specifically tied to one uh uh, piece of information or one career field. You're more of an MI generalist in that um, aspect. So the nice thing is, is uh, you know, in a deployed environment, um, you know, it, it it's exactly what it means, all source. So you take uh, all sources, you take uh, signals intelligence, you take geospatial intelligence, human intelligence, um, and any other forms of intelligence out there. And you could take all that information and you could put it together to create an all-encompassing common opera uh, operations picture um, on the MI side as far as what's going on on the battlefield. And you can use different um, SIGINT dis or uh, intelligence disciplines. You can use SIGINT to corroborate what you see on GEOINT, to corroborate what you see on HUMINT, to further um, develop what's going on on the operational environment. So um, essentially, that's, uh, that's all source in a nutshell. Outstanding. And then one of our, our key stakeholders in the SIGINT world, Sergeant Major Tim Harris, I'll pass the mic to him and he can share a little bit about our signal intelligence. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, yeah, so 
signals intelligence um it, you know it's it's come a long way in my in my over three decades in in the field but uh signals intelligence is a specialized uh form of intelligence where derived from the collection of communications so uh you have two primary MOSs that that comprise uh, the SIGINT, which is the 35 PAPA, uh, which has a language requirement, which I'll speak to in just a second, as well as uh, which is the voice interceptor, and then the um, the 35 November, which is the signals intelligence analyst, which is um, you know incorporates a lot of what Mr. Rose was talking about as far as all source, but very focused in on uh, the analysis piece of um, signals intelligence without going into too many more details there. So uh, it is basically based on collecting intelligence from communication sources um, and then feeding that into the, uh, the greater intelligence operations um, loop. Uh, and the language requirement for you know and actually even the human positions within the 341st mi battalion actually have a the lang a language requirement which so you end up going to uh the defense language institute or unless you have um acquired language proficiency through other means either through school or as a uh first language or another language you've spoken in your home or or whatever uh traditionally soldiers learn their language in support of signals intelligence as well as human intelligence by going to the uh, Defense Language Institute. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing stuff. There are lots of, as Mr. Rose was talking about, opportunities within uh, the Greater Washington Army National Guard as far as specific to, um, to uh, all source analysis. There are lots of SIGINT opportunities within both the 81st Brigade and uh, the 56th TIOG that uh, both um, on an M-Day side as well as in support of full-time missions in, in the Guard. And then we, we, we go to the human intelligence and counterintelligence, and this is where I'll bring in our resident expert, Lieutenant Colonel Casey DeGroove. <laughs> All right, thanks much. So we have, you know, just for the basics for folks, when you're really talking intelligence, we're talking large scale information out there and how do you analyze that and translate it to useful information for your command team to make decisions. So that definitely, there's the piece of SIGINT where people are actually listening and, and digesting. You have the all source folks who, who are, looking at large data sets and and making assessments and giving information back to help uh, drive decisions and then the humant and the ci piece so starting with the humant uh, which is abnormal for me because i'm actually ci by trade but humant um, or human intelligence you have folks who specifically get trained on how to look at the human dimension of information. How do people talk to one another? How is information passing from one person to another person? And we give a skill set so those folks actually can go out and develop and talk to different um, sources, to people, and determine what kind of information they can take in and process um, that will help us understand the environment that we're engaging in. 
So it varies. Um, a humenter can also be on the ground, um, going out from field to field to deploy with folks. Uh, very, very much used in the uh, contingency operations as we go to foreign countries and also was the backbone of our interrogation facilities as well. So they get trained in knowing the human dimension, knowing how to interface and getting the best information we can uh, to drive decisions. On the flip side, you have counterintelligence and work hand in hand. They use a lot of the same premise. They need to understand the human dimension, but they're specifically making sure that we're prepared against any foreign intelligence service attacks. So what that means is, you know, everybody hears a TARP briefing, right? Your threat awareness and reporting program. That's that annual brief that tells you call 1-800-CALL-SPY. But these folks are trained to make sure that they can identify when there's a potential threat out there from an, a foreign intelligence service and then develop means to actually counter that. So they're detecting, they're countering, um, and they also get roped into investigations on a large scale. For the guard, it's a lot of um, training and proactiveness so that we're ready when we get deployed in theater for a counterintelligence agent, mostly because that's when you get your investigatory skills and you actually get badge and credentials, which is uh, something that many CI agents are very proud of and many humanters like to uh, tease them a little bit about. So that's uh, a, another important facet. You take all of those professionals together um, and you wind up collaborating in an intelligence shop or your S2 and essentially taking each of those individual pieces and pulling together a picture that can tell you, hey, if I'm on the ground, for instance, we've got a, a you know, our striker brigade combat team is getting ready to go forward on a, a great mission set over to, to Poland. Uh, they'll have an S2 shop and they'll use their personnel to put together the best information on the surroundings that they have and help their commander make decisions. Flip over just a little bit because I do want to uh, increase and just kind of emphasize what Sergeant Major Harris talked about is the linguistic opportunities. So we are very fortunate in Washington State. We're all, one of only six battalions in the nation that actually has a linguist battalion. Currently in the state, we have 26 different types of languages and we have over 100 people certified in languages. So we essentially have a proponent for the, for the big army and our nation to reach back for um, translation and linguist capabilities. Not only do we send you to DLI, which is a premier language school, we also give you the opportunity to keep up with that language. So we actually have in the state a command language program that specifically makes sure our people get to keep and use that skill. So it goes anywhere from having two weeks with uh, some of your best best friends. I'm, I'm kind of joking. Sergeant Major and I used to always have to go to class together, uh, but uh, to develop and continue your language sets anywhere to an immersion course, to being uh, deployed into to an exercise in theater and going over to Korea and, and getting to use your language firsthand. So there's a lot of really great and unique opportunities that you can really um, stretch your skills in the intelligence community. And I think you were gonna go next. Oh, oh sorry. sorry. I was gonna say, I'm not sure what, what you mean by you know attending with quote friends and then you, you know, <laughs> say it sarcastically and then refer to me, ma'am. I love it. I love it. 
and, and also um, remember when we started the conversation about Intel capacity, you know, the 341st My Battalion has a company with each one of those, the human sig uh, signals intelligence and a counterintelligence company. As we talked about, preponderance of all sources is split between the 81st um, MI Brigade as well as the 56th TIOG, but within the MICO underneath the 81st, uh, um, the MICO underneath the 81st Brigade, you also um, have all of those entities represented as well, in addition to our geospatial intelligence, which kind of started this conversation, which is in a nutshell, you know, the exploitation and, and um, being able to analyze imagery um, and all geospatial information. Um, and, and I and it, pictorially, it's easy for us to, to grasp, to understand and visualize, but it's far more complicated given the level of depth of the analytical skills required of our of our geoinners. And then we also have our unmanned aerial um, vehicles and um, surveillance team that that operates out of Yakima as well. So the the intel capacity in the state is is wide and far. It's pretty deep. And thank you, Lieutenant Colonel DeGroup, in mentioning um, the depth of the linguist capabilities that we have as well that complement our great efforts. Yeah, we actually did highlight uh, linguists on a a previous podcast. So um, it's that that part's super fascinating to me. Um, <laughs> I guess going from here, what is the vision of the future for for the intelligence enterprise then for the state of Washington and the Washington National Guard? First, thank you for saying that uh, the language piece was intriguing because I just had a conversation with my 14-year-old about why he needs to take a language in high school. <laughs> it's so... Um, so yeah, the future is is bright, um, and I don't say that out of arrogance or pride um, within ourselves or the people that are that are placed in the positions that are in right now. Um, I will say that that we are graced to have a very supportive state that understands um, the complexity of of what we do. Um, we are very much so postured with exceptional infrastructure, as Sergeant Major Harris um, kind of alluded to our history and what even brought about the Information Operations Readiness Center which houses the largest um, skiff for the National Guard west of the Mississippi. Um, and that does not take away from the fact that our Camp Murray JRIC, Joint Reserve Intelligence Center, and some people um, understand that better as a, as a secured compartment and information facility as well, a SCIF. Um, those two facilities alone are, are monsters. Um, they're, they're beasts for us when it comes to infrastructure. Um, the future is bright because, once again, we've we had uh, a ton of folks come in front of us and kind of paved the way and set us up for success to be in the, the 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 doing phase. The folks that you have not only here but also as part of the extended intelligence enterprise council are um, very much so motivated and have a high care factor in wanting to see the needle continue to move forward. But more importantly than that, we have um, a phenomenal cast of up and comers. Um, and and that are that are taking um, all that that we're we're talking about today, as well as um, motivation to be stronger mentors and communicators. Um, that that gives me hope, I guess, is what I'm trying to say for the future of where we're trying to go. Um, what what you'll find is that you know the the council, for example, met this past fall and came together to build objectives, and so we're not just talking about these things we're actually putting them into paper so that we have a paper trail of where we were and where we're headed so we have a, a list of, of objectives that we established three to five years ago 
And when we met together this fall, we said, okay, well, what do we look like in, in 2021, FY 2021 to 2025 and beyond, right? Knowing that we may not be the folks in these in these particular positions to make that, to make those future changes and to continue to correct the path as, as necessary. And so um, with that said, that is a that is probably the baseline of, of what our future um, has in store. But once again, it really comes down to the professionals. The Intel community is full of it's it's one of the reasons why there was there was no need for a recruiting and retention efforts or effort with myself in particular from a selfish perspective, because the Intel professionals that I get to work with are 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 individuals that that naturally motivate me to want to to move forward and do what's best for um, for our greater community at large. And so that's why that's what gives me hope for for where we're going. And I'll stop. Stop talking about that for a second and see what the other folks have to say. So I'll jump in and we'll see if uh, Chief Rose wants to add. But another great aspect is we talked about having the um, Joint Reserve Intelligence Program reach back that uh, came alongside of, of, you know, our increased build of spaces at the IORC is we've now got this national level reach back capability where our folks can actively um, engage in their mission sets that they don't always get to see. And so we've, we're building these strong relationships with national level entities um, throughout the combatant commands as well as backyard at JBLM throughout PACOM uh, to be able to provide support and augment some of the tasks that come out. So we've got some phenomenal opportunities there, some really smart soldiers who are doing some impressive work. And that continues to grow. And it used to be that it was kind of a pocket thing, but we're really using the uh, intelligence enterprise to push out that opportunity to try to bring in more and more folks. I think a key example of this is uh, Chief Rose and I have gotten to be involved in a couple of iterations of a intelligence support to information operations course uh, in which we've had uh, various intel professionals from actually active component and guard component come through and, and kind of learn how intelligence can support in the information operations realm. So we continue to bring in uh, more people. We, we see some really great products coming out and getting a lot of recognition, which is uh, a, a really phenomenal, phenomenal program that's going out there. So I will say I had the opportunity to talk with Major Manin from recruiting today, and he just came off of over 15 years of active duty as an intelligence professional and said, I can't believe the level of which you guys are doing intelligence in the Washington Army National Guard. It's just frankly impressive, he said, compared to some of the opportunities that just a normal soldier gets while they're active duty, we by far are uh, investing a lot in our soldiers and giving them a lot of opportunities. Chief, anything to add? Uh, yes, ma'am. Uh, thank you for uh, the uh, uh, mic. Um, I think, uh, what people need to understand is uh, relevance is retention. And that's something that uh, Colonel DeSofi would say all the time. And uh, what better than to be able to show up on a drill weekend and actually get behind the computer terminal and actually do intelligence work. Um, whether you're actively working on a, um, a requested product or you're just familiarizing yourself with the environment of what happened in the last 30 days, uh, you have that access to the information that you need um, when you need it. 
Um, this allows us to be able to uh, get soldiers prepared to go to ODTs um, every single time um, I get ready to go out to Pacific Century with U.S. Indo-PACOM, you know, a month to two weeks prior to the exercise starting, I have all the products. And when the soldiers that are uh, coming in to support that exercise, they come to me, we sit down and we're able to go over all the products. So that way, when we show up to a future or a, uh, a forward uh, area, uh, we show up to Hawaii or Korea or Japan or um, any of the places that we go, we're not showing up cold. We understand what's going on. And I think soldiers see that when they, they can actually um, put their hands on the actual intelligence work and understand the reason why um, we do it, um, that um, give, gives them the motivation to stick around, to stay in the Army. They're not just showing up to some armory cleaning weapons for a while, and that's their drill weekend. They're actually doing intel work, and I think that means, uh, means a lot to them. And as far as building our enterprise, keeping it going, and bringing up the next generation of leaders who are going to replace us and continue on with that legacy. That is outstanding. And some of those opportunities that are out there that are that Colonel DeGroove and Mr. Rose are, are exactly alluding to um, are within the Federated Intelligence Program. And we would be remiss as well if we didn't we didn't mention um, the great strategic relationships that our full-time mission managers have to tying our soldiers to training opportunities, as well as real-world intelligence production, making a difference from a global scale um, with some partners such as um, NSA Hawaii, um, Special Ops Command, Army Cyber Command, and um, many more. I know that within the TIOG itself, they're working with Task Force Oceana, for example. They've, they've attempted to work with the USFK in the past. But we have yet to have a customer in quotation mark. Um, I hate to use that term because I don't want to undermine the fact that these are strategic level partners, as Lieutenant Colonel DeGroote mentioned. Um, we have yet to have a customer that has been disappointed in the caliber and effort that our guardsmen have brought to the fight. And so that is a, a, a huge preponderance of, of exactly what we're saying in regards to um, what our soldiers are able to do and how they're able to stay relevant and ready Right. Because from a commander's perspective, we want our soldiers to be ready. Um, the the big arm, big National Guard Bureau used to have a saying, no, no cold starts, no MI soldier at rest. And in the state of Washington, you know, there's there's really, truly no reason for us to be at rest. There's plenty of opportunities for us to plug in and to keep our skill sets um, very warm and able to contribute to the global fight. Sorry, Major, do you have anything you wanted to add? I think everybody did a pretty good job of encapsulating and covering kind of a lot of the great stuff that is going on. I, I would like to acknowledge the uh, that the current command climate of one chain of command and the commanding general six tenets have really become a foundation of how we do business. And while we had a whole lot of people working towards uh, building this enterprise, I think that the current command climate really became a catalyst for ensuring that it uh, that the way we came together and moved forward is set up for success. And I think that the future is that we build on the successes that we've covered in a lot of these different conversations and move forward and continue to grow and uh, build those relationships and connections across the entire Washington Army National Guard um, platform, the whole the whole formation, so that we're moving forward together instead of it moving forward in pockets. No, thanks for that, Sergeant Major. 
So I think as we're kind of wrapping up, uh, we'll give everybody a chance to kind of say one last thing. Um, I, I wanted to say thank you, uh, as I said earlier in the podcast, and for those that have listened to all of most all of our other podcasts, they always hear my "Hey, I'm an Intel officer by trade." I happen to be a, a PAO as well, um, and this is my full time job. But uh, I've had the pleasure and uh, the privilege, I, I believe, to have served with each of you in a different capacity, whether it be uh, Lieutenant Colonel DeGroofs, uh, then XO when I was a lieutenant and she was a captain. Um, and she basically told me if I didn't take the MICO command, I was going to be an idiot for doing it or for not doing it. And so um, that that was one of the greatest things I think I ever did was move over there to 81st and, and see how the Intel company worked over there. And then for you, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Gentry, when you called me back in to do a second company command with Bravo Company, um, it was a privilege and an honor, and I truly appreciate that. And having worked, like I said, with Chief Rose and Sergeant Major Harris throughout the years in different capacities, I know Sergeant Major, I think we've always had you as Sergeant Major and Captain Seamandle, now Major Seamandle. Um, it, it's truly an honor to be in the Intel community, and uh, just wanted to say that before I give you guys one last chance to, to throw some words out there. Well, thank you for having us. This was 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 great uh, chance for us to reflect and and really get it get a chance to speak to, to the folks out there, to our intelligence professionals. If we can share anything, we're not scary people. <laughs> please, please reach out to us, particularly if you're hitting a, a roadblock in your careers. We don't want anyone out there to feel like they're they're alone and, and unable to, to reach out. We really, truly do want to help. Um, and I will say as a National Guardsman, um, you do have a lot more control over your career than you would if you were active component. This is not a slide on the active component. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed my time, you know, as an active duty soldiers, um, but there are there are benefits and, and struggles with both, right? And as a National Guardsman, you, you truly do have a little bit more control and say in your career, as well as um, schools opportunities, for example, training opportunities. So please don't hesitate to, to reach out. For those that are interested in the Intel community as well, um, once again, we welcome with open arms. We're here to help if we can. Yes, thanks so much. Uh for giving us this opportunity to talk about something that we're all that everybody in this meeting is very passionate about the the whole military intelligence and intelligence enterprise um i just the future is really bright i i look at how far we've come in the last few years and what the future looks like like i, I think it was already mentioned the up and comers and just the capacity that we're building is phenomenal right now and same thing as Colonel Gentry. Um, I don't know how you, you guys can put my points of contact information out there. Uh, I'm happy to field questions from current Intel folks or anybody who's interested in coming over, uh, you know, and becoming, you know, interested in joining the field of military intelligence. I'm happy to have those conversations with with anybody. And like Colonel Gentry said, I'm here to support. I'm here to help. All right, so uh, this is Chief or uh, Chief Rose. Um, so for any of you uh, intelligence professionals out there who are considering um, changing your career over a little bit and wanting to go warrant, please, um, at any time, feel free to reach out to me and we can discuss it and uh, uh, discuss the possibility of putting together a packet. It's not that hard. Um, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And to uh, echo uh, Colonel Gentry's comments, I've been active duty, reserve, National Guard. I've had more of an opportunity to train, to travel not only within the United States, but um, in different parts of the world uh, with the National Guard than I ever have with any other components. So, you know, I really love being here uh, in the National Guard, 
I love the intelligence community and uh, I love being a warrant officer. So there you go. We really do appreciate you guys having us on and having the opportunity to talk. It's really been a great career opportunity to be in the Washington Guard. Uh, very rewarding to be an intel professional, to feel like you're making a difference, to work with some really great people who have a breadth of experience. So been very fortunate that way. I was uh, happy to work with Joe over the years and glad he is such a strong proponent of our craft. Uh, but I also just wanted to say thanks to all of our soldiers, not just our intel soldiers, but uh, our guardsmen and the airmen out there who have been doing such a phenomenal job this year. Uh, 2020 was particularly tough, but I think I'm very proud to say that it was a good year for the Guard. We did a lot. We accomplished a lot. And uh, really just uh, thank you guys. All right, thank you guys so much. Um, we actually spoke to Colonel DeSophie earlier this morning and he definitely gave you all a shout out as a great team for the intelligence enterprise as it moves forward. Um, and we are so glad that uh, we actually were able to convince intelligence folks to participate in something with public affairs. <laughs> Because normally y'all don't ever want to talk to us when we want to, you know, like photograph or record you doing anything. But um, thank you so much for coming on. This has been so great. You guys have done such a great job explaining everything. And uh, we look forward to publishing this podcast. So thanks for joining us. <laughs>